know about tacos? Did you know that taco cat spelled backwards is taco cat? It's okay. You'll get it at lunch and you'll enjoy it later. It's fine. This past week, the University of Texas at San Antonio hosted the last in a series of summer webinars called Food for Thought. And this past week's, the title of the episode was this, Everything You Need to Know About Tacos, Texas, and Tradition. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Texas and tradition, but everything I need to know about tacos, I learned about two years ago when I had my first puffy taco. Okay, Now, I, with no shame, will give a huge plug for the crab cake taco at Tacos for Life in Concord, North Carolina. A couple of exits past Ikea, two or three. It's the Concord Mills exit. Take a left, go back over the overpass, about seven-tenths of a mile next to QT, okay? Great thing is there's a QT too. So you have a QT and Tacos for Life, okay? Unashamedly just told you where it was. So the crab cake at Tacos for Life is a crab cake that's been seared lightly on a grill. It has some pico, it's got some remoulade sauce, and it's in a puffy tortilla. A puffy tortilla. So good. Now look, if you don't like crab cakes, no big deal. Because there's other options there. You've got all kind of other options. There's 15, I think, gourmet tacos. You can get beef and steak and chicken and veggie and seafood and pork. I mean, there's a little bit of everything. But whatever you get, whatever you decide to get, when you go, please... For the sake of Pete, get it on a puffy tortilla. It, it, it might just change your life. Now, that might be more than you want to know about a puffy tortilla. But isn't it funny how when we get to talking about something that we love, we can go on and on. We can, we can give a lot of details and, and keep the fire going. And here's why. Because what we love has an impact on how we think, on how we talk, on how we act, and on how we eat. Everything is impacted by what we love. You know, these days we're living in a time when angry news and aggravated news and anxious news seems to be all that we are hearing about, all that's being talked about. And if we're honest, it's almost all we want to talk about. We say we don't, but then we find ourselves engaged in it. The problem, though, is kind of like not changing the oil in your car for five years. All of that talk is starting to destroy our, our mental and, and emotional and maybe some, a little bit our, our spiritual engine in life. We can't breathe. We, we can't think. So is there something that can help? Is there anything that can help? Something that can help heal our brain and our bodies at the same time of some of the things that are happening? Is there anything that can help our, our fear and our rage and our, our stress, all the things we're finding floating through our minds and even floating through the world in our community today? Is there anything that can help like that? Well, there is something that can help. And it's, it's not a puffy taco. And it's not a medical vaccine. And it's not a political candidate. It's not a, a perfect scenario for opening schools. It's not a perfect scenario for opening a church. No, it's something different. It's something bigger. It's something more powerful. It's something more purposeful than any of those things. And what is that? Well, it's, it's love. Now, 
Somebody might be thinking, God, love, are you kidding me? <laughs> don't be weak. Don't be silly. Don't be foolish. Don't be buying into all this love stuff. Man, love stinks. Love can't help anything that's happening in the world right now. How in the world could love help anything? Well, let's see if we can find out. The Apostle Paul is writing to some folks in a place called Corinth. And he's writing to these folks because they're struggling. They're struggling with things like confusion and aggravation and frustration and stress and anxiety. They're, they're selfish. They're sinful. They, they tend to not think about God's ways of doing things. In other words, they're nothing like any of us, right? I mean, so we're going to have a hard time making a connection. Now, they're, they're a lot like us. And so Paul writes to them about love. And what does he say about love? This is what he said, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love bears all things. Love bears up under all things. Love covers and love protects. Love is not quick to broadcast the sins and the failures of others. Love doesn't do that. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore people's sins. It doesn't mean you start harboring fugitives at your house on the weekend because, hey, no big deal, let's just love everybody. That's not the, the picture. What it means is that to some measure without dishonoring God and without breaking the law, that we do everything we can to protect the reputation of other people. We, we, we bear things. We, we protect. That's the, the picture that we have. Someone put it this way, love doesn't air dirty laundry. In other words, it would be like this. If a husband is meeting his wife's friends for the first time, like one of them shouldn't say, oh, so that's what the jerk finally looks like. Yeah. Or if a, a wife is, is meeting her husband's friends for the first time, one of them shouldn't say, oh, so that's what the nagging hen looks like. Okay, I got it now, right? Now, love doesn't do that. Love does everything it can to protect. Simon Peter wrote the, the same thing, but he, he wrote it in the context of the end times. And, and in the end times, Peter said, this is what we should be found doing. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We live in a time of intense gossip, of intense speculation, suspicion, conspiracy theories, a time of, of lots of fake news from the left and fake news from the right. We live in a time where, where it's really hard to think through a lot of things. A time when everybody seems eager to take every little mistake or, or every, you know, unnecessary comment and, and just broadcast it, you know, just, just post it or text it or email it or, or get on the phone and talk about it. You know, it's really interesting. I think I speak for all of us when I say none of us like when people are nitpicky with us. We don't like when people are nitpicky with all the different things that we do or don't do. But for some reason, we are all convinced that our spouses and our kids and our parents and our politicians and our teachers and our pastors and the girl at the register at the checkout place, they all want their mistakes broadcast very loudly in the store or posted all over social media. But they're just like us. They don't. They don't. Paul and Peter, they're both simply repeating the, the same pattern of words that we hear from Jesus, and that is this. If you're going to be eager to do something, be eager to love. 
be eager to love. As believers, we should be eager to love people who are Christians, and we should be eager to love people who are not Christians. And, and why? Why would we do that? Well, Peter says if we're eager to love in that way, it covers a multitude of sins. That sounds pretty good. Does that mean that, you know, as, as long as we love other people, all of our sins will be taken away? Does it mean if we love other people that all of their sins are going to be taken away? To cover a multitude of sins, does that mean that we can be a rude jerk or a silent jerk to our spouse or our parents or our, our kids or, or anyone else in life? And, and no big deal. It's fine as long as we lovingly volunteer at church or, or lovingly give money to local charities. Does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins that, hey, it's okay to commit adultery or, or gossip about somebody or cheat on your taxes or, you know, maybe vote more than one time in the election because they mistakenly sent you an extra ballot or, or you know, shoplift perler beads from the craft store and, and, hey, it's no big deal, you know, because all those people are just supposed to ignore all of that and love you because love covers a multitude of sins. No, that, that's not what any of that means and what Paul's getting at. The picture that Paul is painting is this. When Christians agree to love, when they set their affections on loving, it means that there's not a breeding ground for sin to grow. When Christians choose to love, there's not a, a breeding ground for sin to grow. When Christians choose to love, forgiveness, not revenge, becomes our delight. When Christians choose to love, we create an atmosphere for the gospel to thrive and flourish. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is by no means honorable to men or women to set up to be common informers. I think that's a nice way to say gossipers. Yet I know some who are not half so eager to publish the gospel as to publish slander. So, so what are we more eager for? Are we more eager to complain and post about everything that's happening in the world? Or as believers, are we more eager to proclaim and boast about the grace of Jesus? What are we eager Spurgeon goes on to say this, love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on her lip. I mean, that's vivid right there, right? Love knows how to look at our minds and our hearts and our souls and our mouths and our posting fingers and say, shh, don't. Don't post it. Don't, don't, don't say it. Try really hard not to think it, but just, just don't. That, that's what love does. Love knows how to bear things. Listen, Peter's not far off. We do need to remember the end is near. The end is near. So, if you're going to be eager about anything, don't be eager to complain. Don't be eager, eager to gossip. Don't, don't be eager to sinfully post. Be eager to love. Be eager to protect. Be eager to cover. Love bears all things. Paul gives us the second thing love does. He says, love believes all things. 
Man, we, we live in a cynical age, right? <laughs> That's an understatement, really. I mean, what can you really believe in today? So it's kind of confusing that we're, we're reading Paul's advice here, and he says, you know, love actually believes in all things. What does that mean? So when someone calls your house and says you just won the pig and poke contest and you're going to receive uh, your supply of barbecue every week, and they say, but in order to get your free barbecue for the whole year, you've got to pay an upfront shipping fee of $200. It's got to be a cashier's check. You've got to send it to Fat Sam's Bait and Tackle Shop in the country of Florin. Now, if you do that, are you supposed to hear that information, run to the bank, get that cashier's check, and get it there ASAP? No, you shouldn't. Paul's writing here about believing all things. He's not talking about buying into every phone scam. He's not talking about being duped by every political promise. What he's saying here is that when we believe all things, very simply, we're quick to believe the best. We're quick to believe the best. Maybe put another way, love gives the benefit of the doubt. Man, when we look at all the the cynical waves crashing around us, the idea of giving anyone the benefit of the doubt seems to be lost in our world today. But love does. Love, agape love, Christian love, it gives the benefit of the doubt, not foolishly, but faithfully. Paul put it this way in his letter to the folks at Philippi, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about just a normal week in your life. And just, just consider which one of these questions runs through your mind more often than not. Okay, here's a few. First question. What do I disagree with that person about? How often does that that run through your mind? What what do I disagree with them about? What do do I not agree with them about with sports or money or finances or or anything? What would I not agree about that person? Second question, maybe something like this. What is that person not doing that I think they should be doing? What is that person not doing that I think they should be doing? What is that person doing that I wish they would stop doing? Or... What about this question? What is excellent and worthy of affirming in that person? What is excellent or worthy of affirming in that person? Listen, we're, we're not perfect, okay? And, and the reality is when we talk about love, believing in all things, we're, we're not talking about ignorant love here. We're not talking about being foolish. We're not talking about being taken in. We're talking about this picture that's not manby-panby, not ignorant, not foolish. Because if we think that love is ignorant or foolish or manby-panby, then, then somehow we have to also think that Jesus is ignorant and foolish and manby-panby because Jesus was very clear on promoting love. So we're not talking about being foolish, but love does believe the best. And it believes the best first. And and even when it has cause to not believe the best, it still tries. It still fights to believe the best. That's what love does. Remember, this love that Paul's talking about is what we call agape love. It's 
It's not intimate love. It's not family love. It's not friend love. It's, it's agape love. It's a, a self-denying love that keeps loving even when love is rejected. It keeps loving. Agape love is, is not easy love, but it is the kind of love that Jesus has called us to. When we look at the, the beauty of the cross, when we look that, that Jesus was crucified on the cross, what we see in that picture is that Jesus was not crucified on a cross because we all raised some money to sponsor him. Jesus was not dying on the cross for people who were believing in him, for people who were giving him the benefit of the doubt, for people that were were loving him. Jesus was dying, according to the scriptures, for sinners, rebels like me and like you. When we were helpless, when we were dead in our sins, that's when Jesus died us. That's the picture of love that we see in the scripture. That's how love makes its way into our life. When there was nothing to believe in us, when there was no reason to give us the benefit of the doubt, that's when Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what love does. If you've truly been rescued by Jesus, you have about a gazillion reasons before and after death to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to give other people the ability to know that as far as you're concerned, you're going to do your best to believe the best first and most. Love believes all things. Paul gives us a third thing. He says love hopes all things. Now, I... I don't know if I can find an exact quote on every single one of these, but generally speaking, the last 45 presidents of the United States have promised some type of hope. But that's not the kind of hope that Paul's talking about. Paul is is talking about a hope that is built on the ultimate, one true hope. He described it this way to the folks at Ephesus, Ephesians 2 verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you formerly who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, when we have hope in Christ, by the very nature of our hope in Christ, it means it's supposed to be impossible for us to look at our spouse or our kids or our parents or our politicians or our country or anything else in life and say, there's no hope. Because in Christ, there is always hope by the nature of who He is. True lasting hope can only be found in being brought near to God. So, If you have been brought near to God, you will never not have hope. Let me just graciously repeat that. Whatever you are ticked off about this morning, whatever you are afraid of this morning, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're aggravated about, whatever you want different, none of those things can change your hope if you are in Christ. Your hope cannot be taken away from you. We may not see it. We might get distracted. We might get discouraged. We might get depressed. We might get angry. We might get anxious. We might get a lot of things. But that hope in Christ cannot be taken away from us because it's in Christ. It's Him. It's His character. It's who He is. In Jesus, there's always hope. 
in Jesus, there's always hope. In Jesus, there is always hope. Always. Always. Why? How? Because he's Jesus. I met a guy about 10 years ago. His name was Nick. I think Nick had only been a Christian maybe, I don't know, three or four weeks, a month, something like that. And he just made a very simple statement to me that day. He said this, you can't have Jesus and be the same. He's right. You can't have Jesus and not have hope. You just can't because it's who he is. So if you have him, you have hope. There's always hope in Jesus. If you've not read the book Unified by United States Senator Tim Scott and former United States Representative Trey Gowdy, I have before and will again highly recommend it to you. Hey, I'll even say this. It is better than a puffy crab cake taco. I mean, it's good. It's good stuff. Okay. The dedication of the book gives a great picture of what hope looks like in real life. This, this hope that comes from love. This is how the dedication reads. To artist Ware, Tim's grandfather, who grew up in a segregated South in a polarized world, but who learned to love everyone. His faith and his perspective were transformational. To Jesse Lee Evans, Trey's grandmother, who shared with artists a love for South Carolina and a profound faith in God. In the segregated age in which they lived, the two never met, but two generations later, their grandsons became the best of friends. And here's how the dedication ends. Here's hoping that Artis and Jesse Lee have met each other on the other side. May what they now have in common overwhelm any differences. There is always hope in Jesus. Always. And whatever you hate on this side, Whatever you're angry about today on this side, whatever you're anxious about today on this side, whatever you're afraid of on this side, whatever you're apathetic about on this side, in Christ, there's another side. And the other side will always overwhelm whatever disturbs us here. And in His kindness, every day, God sends grace from the other side for us to breathe and see and sing and pray and live because that's what love does. Love hopes all things. A fourth thing that love does, Paul says in verse 7, is love endures all things. Love doesn't give up. Love looks for ways for friends to become frenemies and frenemies to become friends. Love is, is just always hanging in there. Love is, is always trying to find a way. Sometimes love says, shh, don't, don't say that. And, and sometimes love says, hey, don't run away. Don't, don't run away. You know, again, in our deeply self-centered, cynical culture, we're, we're tempted to take our ball and go play somewhere else. If we don't like something with our spouse or our parents or our church or our job or our politician or whatever it may be. 
But love hangs in there. Love, agape love, Christian love, it it finds a way to, to keep going. Now, what does that look like in the most difficult moments of life? Well, I'd love to tell you that it's all pretty and peachy keen, but but far too often it's not. But here's the great thing. In the hard times and the difficult times and the times that it doesn't feel peachy keen, there's this fuel, there's this gasoline, there's this this energy that comes from Christ. There is this halftime pep talk that never goes away. And it sounds like this. 1 Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, because he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And then verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. By his wounds you were healed. Listen, none of us are perfect, okay? (laughs) We're all gonna, we're gonna struggle. As I'll keep reminding us, man, we're going, we probably are going to have more agrumpe love days than agape love days, okay? It's going to happen. But when it comes to love, Jesus has set the example for us. He's, he's called us to this. Love does not revile. Love does not attack. Love does not threaten. Love endures. Love stands its ground. Love hangs in there. Love keeps loving. It's been said 1 Corinthians 13 is a good evaluator for your life. That that looking through this chapter will kind of help you see where you are in life. So, you know, where where is love in your life? If you were to use these words, how would you evaluate your life? One day Jesus was talking to his disciples, his closest friends, and and he gave them a word picture of, of two men. One of the men is somebody who listened to his teachings and and put into practice what he heard. Another one listened to the teachings and did not put into practice what he heard. And this is how Jesus described those two men. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, The first man is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And then, when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Anybody ever been like almost in the eye of a hurricane? My wife and I were our first, we were even married four months, I think, and I forgot, God, what was her name? Fran? No, my, not my wife, sorry. Um, <laughs> Good thing she's in the back helping the kids. Um, it seemed like it might have been Bertha or Fran. I can't remember now. Karen would know. But, but I remember that night being on the floor, and we had the mattress over us, and these huge pine trees that had been in Wake Forest, North Carolina, probably for 300 years, were just dropping like toothpicks outside of our window. 
and we were waiting any moment for one of them just to come through. And, and it was just, it was unnerving just how the building was shaken. This building was built like, I think back in the 40s maybe, and, and it was just shaking and shaking. And, and I think about that when I read this, and I think, wow, the storm came, but his house didn't even, didn't even shake. You know, it felt like it was shaking, but he was secure. Here's the second man, verse 49. Jesus says, but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Great. So you got two men, you got two houses, you got one storm, and you got two results. You got one guy who listened to Jesus, heard what Jesus was teaching, and said, yep, I need to do that, and I'm going to keep following Jesus. And then you got another guy who listened, but then the storm came, and, and he didn't have time to trust and follow Jesus because he was working too hard to keep following the news and social media. He didn't have time to follow Jesus. Imagine me and my son we uh, roll through Stan Makita's donut shop one afternoon. We're going to get a dozen glaze and a couple of milkshakes. He orders a chocolate chip mint milkshake, and I order a regular chocolate chip milkshake. And they you know, hand us all our stuff, donuts and milkshakes, and you know, they've got written on the side which one's regular chocolate chip, which one's mint chocolate chip. And we get out on the highway. I grab mine, take a big swig, and the only thing that happens to me is I, I get the annoying flavor of minty chocolate, okay? Because I, I don't like minty chocolate. And so I pull over on the side of the road, man, I'm just, I gotta, I gotta throw a tantrum. Guys, can you believe this? What in the world? Do these people not know how to write? I mean, how hard is this? It's a milkshake. How do you switch these up? I don't even order milkshakes, and this is the first time I do, and look what happens. And my son smirks at me and says, you know, it's funny, Dad. I don't like regular chocolate chip. When I get a milkshake, I want to feel minty fresh. But you know, Dad, it, it's going to be okay. Because I listened to your podcast this week, and, and you remember you said that thing about how when we have Jesus, we have everything. And that, that having Jesus and being in Christ means that he will help us in the highs and the lows, that he's there for us. So I'm pretty sure that includes messed up milkshakes now thankfully I don't lose it like that over food if I do it's excitement it's, it's never anger it's, it's excitement but here's the thing our normal reactions our normal responses how we, we normally respond to things how we normally respond to trials and struggles, difficulties, tribulations, how, how we normally respond gives us a picture of which house we are in. So which, which house are you in? Are you living in the house of enduring love? Or are you living in the fickle house of anger or aggravation or anxiety or, or hopelessness or a number of other things. 
Again, none of us are perfect. But which house are you in? You may have heard the story about the businessman that was out of town on a trip and finished up early one afternoon and was, was heading to his hotel and, and he noticed it was you know, right around 5 o'clock and, and there was a, a Little League baseball game that had already started. And he thought, hey, I'm, I might go watch a couple innings, you know, just for fun. So he goes over and parks and he walks up. And where he walked up, he actually walked up at the outside outfield fence. And so he gets up to the fence and he can't see the scoreboard from where he's standing. So he hollers out to the kid in the outfield. He's like, hey, what's the score? The kid says, looks at him and smiles and says, 18 to nothing, we're losing. The man thought that's an interesting thing to smile about. He said, well, buddy, you don't seem very discouraged. He turned back and the kid said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even had our bat yet. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things because the love of Christ reminds us we always have an extra bat. Always. In Jesus, there is always love. In Jesus, there is always hope. Build your house, build your life on that.